And as I open my mouth this morning, you're hearing an accent. I used to be Dutch Reformed. And then I got saved. <laughs> but they ask us, how many languages do you speak? And Trini, I usually answer, one at a time. <laughs> I'll try to do that this morning and speak to you in English and not in any of the other five languages. But like what Pastor said, we have ministered in uh, South America. Uh, before we came to Delaware Bible Church in 1973, we had spent uh, two terms on the field of Suriname already. Uh, then we went to Luxembourg to start two churches there, a French-speaking church to begin with, two years later an English-speaking church. Then the mission moved us uh, from Luxembourg to Germany and gave us an administration administrative position and eventually it was all of Europe, all the missionaries there and uh, they called me deputy area director, dad but some of the missionaries called me deputy European area director <laughs> dad <laughs> and I did that ministry, I was involved in the ministry for six years and then I told the general director I would like to resign I would rather work with people than with missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still with missionaries. We're still missionaries ourselves. I guess the Lord just m made me be a missionary and had that in mind. Because I wasn't in church. I think this baby is a month old uh, here in the second row. Uh, I was told that I was less than two weeks old when they took me to church. Like other people say, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but I heard the gospel, and at the age of uh, 12, a mission I came from the United States, presented the gospel very clearly to us, and I accepted the Lord. Three was five years ahead of me and uh, she accepted the Lord early in life. But like I said, I think, it, I, I know it was the Lord's plan because I had to take a nap in the afternoon at the age of four, I was sleeping, I was supposed to sleep in the afternoon, but in that room was a table. I liked church so much that I would sit on my bed or on a chair and start singing hymns and then I would get up and get on top of the table and start preaching. <laughs> and I sat down again. For a Dutchman, this is very strange. I never took an offering. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Trudy. <laughs> anyway, the Lord brought us to the mission field, and uh, we have been very, very happy. The Lord blessed us, blessed our ministry. We are rich very rich. But uh, you've been involved in our ministry since 1973. After Europe, we had the opportunity to go back uh, to Suriname once or twice a year, teach the Indians. Uh, then eventually, after pastoring a church in the Netherlands for six years, we were able to go back uh, to Suriname and continue the work there, teaching and Bible translation. But like pa what Pastor said, these people are missionaries. 
like Paul, had many co-workers. We have more co-workers than the Apostle Paul did, I think. We have 10, 20, 30, maybe 100 co-workers in the different uh, places. They go out. And their recent missionary trip, which was last year, uh, they left in September, I think it was, or August. Pardon? December. December. They were going to go for two months. Uh, they didn't come back until May. And they, we wondered about that. Two months reaching or speaking in uh, 28 different Apalai villages. So it was more than five months later that they came back. But they made a video. The quality is not uh, perfect, not good. But they have a cell phone and they took pictures, they took video on our cell phone and sent it to us from Brazil, from the jungle, on WhatsApp. And we put those things together. Uh, amazing thing, because we used to have shortwave radio. Uh, you could talk to one person and that was it. You know, if that other person on another village was on the line, online, we could talk. But now they have cell phones. And the bad thing about the cell phone is that there's a time difference between the United States and Suriname. Uh, in wintertime, it's three hours. So if we would get a phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning, we knew it was an Indian. But uh, they call us, and they call us all day long. And we minister to them on Sunday mornings to the whole church. They put their cell phone by the microphone, and I get to speak to them. And then during the week, the church leaders call, and we discuss things, and we teach things. But they made that, that missionary trip to Brazil, they made those short videos. I put them together, and uh, it's only six minutes, so enjoy what those people are doing and reaching others, other tribes as well with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is pulling three 45-foot canoes through the jungle on a trail that we would walk once a year, uh, and, and quite a number of Delaware Bible Church has walked that trail, trail as well, about 90 minutes. But with three 45-foot canoes, it was quite a job. But that is what they do for the gospel. And the last part is was what they sent to us from, from Suriname when they came back because there were no towers to send it to us, so I added it. But you as a church were involved in this, contributed largely to this trip. And we thank you for it, and the Indians thank you for it. Uh, because here we have so many of these Indians who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because they heard the word of God and they continue in the ministry. And in the beginning, we heard about one village in uh, Brazil, Apalai village, the largest village where the chief lived. They had a church there because a missionary translated the New Testament for them, but then could not go back. But now there are at least 28 villages where they have churches. We didn't go there, the Indians went there. And the training they received in the Bible school camp, they carried that to Brazil and taught people there. So we are very thankful and the Indians are very thankful. Uh, 
This morning, I would like to share with you what I've titled, Holy Following the Lord. You see it there on the screen. Holy Following the Lord. And then the question is, who does? Well, do I? Did I? Sorry, that went too fast. Do you? And then I read about one man in the Old Testament. He did. And his name is Caleb. Caleb was one of the two men that left uh, the country of Egypt after all those years of slavery for the Israelites. And you all know that the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. And then they were allowed to go back. Go to the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham already. And they were going to go back to the promised land. I understand that was a trip for about 11 or 12 days. And it took them 40 years. 40 years because of disbelief. Too long. In Judges chapter 2 verse 12, it says, They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. What did they do? They followed other gods, gods of people around them, and they bowed down before them, and they provoked the Lord. And when I was studying this, even when I was translating this for the Indians, how come that these people living in the land of Goshen, separated from the Egyptians, uh, still were influenced by so many gods and, re and religious thoughts and, and took them away from the Lord himself. Well, doesn't that happen all the time? Adam and Eve were in a perfect place. And what happened? Evil entered in and took them away from the Lord their God. And... Really, it, it happened all, all through history. You know, the judges were there, and then they came back to the Lord, and then they went back to their idols and so forth. So let's look at some verses in the book of Joshua, first of all. Joshua chapter 4, verse 14. And this is before entering the promised land. And this was the admonition that was given they were told, and Joshua did that, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with insincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, the other side of the river, in Egypt. And as I was studying there, I was reminded of what happened there in the wilderness, that Moses had to erect a serpent because the of their sin they were bitten by serpents and the Lord gave them a solution and told Moses to, to make a serpent and put it on a stake and if they looked at that stake at that serpent they would be healed and then I found out that about a thousand years later those Israelites were still worshipping that serpent they had to get rid of it and in my life, in your life, there are things that need to, we need to get rid of. 
we want to hold on to and that help that hinders my growth, it hinders your growth, and it hinders the growth of those Indians. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua gives the Israelites an admonition before they enter the promised land. And he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Serve the God of your fathers, that means all the way back to Abraham, or the gods of the Amorites and the Egyptians, of course. But Joshua had made up his mind. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I translated the book of Joshua for the Indians and taught it to them. And as we had Bible school there, whatever we taught, we gave an exam to them at, at the end of the month with all kinds of questions. And I said, one of your questions will be writing down Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. That same evening, they had made a song with the words of Joshua 24, verse 15. And they sang it that whole month. So that much for that test. <laughs> they, they knew it. But Joshua said, choose ye. And the reaction of the people was, God forbid that we should go back to the other stuff that we've heard about, what we have worshipped before, what we've learned before. God forbid. That was their decision. And how far, how fast they got away from the decision they made for the Lord. Remember there were 12 spies that were sent out by Joshua to spy out the land to see what there was and what needed to be done to, to capture that land, to get that land back that God had promised them. And they came back with reports. There were 12 of them. And 10 of them had a very bad report. They were afraid. They didn't believe they could conquer the land. But two of them were believing. They were not afraid. They were courageous. And those two were Joshua and Caleb, two men that had left Egypt, and the rest had disappeared already because of their unbelief. And when time came, then Caleb gave his testimony to the people. And his I say his testimony sounds almost like boasting when he was comparing himself with the other ten people and with other people in, in, among the Israelites. He said, I wholly followed the Lord. Now those ten who were with me did not wholly follow the Lord. I wholly followed the Lord. Does that sound like boasting? They did not, I did. So that is what Caleb said. Almost sounds like boasting. I've wholly followed the Lord, and those ten did not. Of course, Joshua did too. We think about Joshua. I think I skipped Joshua chapter 14, verse 8. Let me go back. Yeah. Modern technology. We don't have that in the jungle. We didn't have that. <laughs> anyway, Joshua chapter 14, verse 8. Nevertheless, and that's what Caleb said, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. This is what they said. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. And we cannot take that. 
I've already followed the Lord. And he was talking about the trip that the 12 of them made. Moses had sent them out. And they came back with a report. The two, even the 10 came back. Yes, it's a beautiful land. Full of milk and honey. And this is the place to live. But, but there are giants in the land. You know that for them and for anyone who knows the Lord, that is not to approach these things. We can talk about all the good things that the Lord has there for us and then say, but this is the problem. Reverse that. There's all these problems, all these obstacles, but the Lord. And there are messages on, on those two words, but the Lord. If the Lord enters in, it changes the whole picture. There are giants in the land, but the Lord, he could do it. So based on his own testimony, Caleb said to Joshua, Joshua, you remember the promise that Moses gave to me? Remember what he has said? He said, Kadesh and Barnea is for Caleb. And Caleb said, I was only 40 years old. Our ten, 10 brothers, they were scared. I was not. Joshua wasn't either. I was the one who said, but with God's help, with God's might, we can do it. Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are fortified cities. But with God, I can do it. The Lord kept me alive, he said. Not the other ten. The Lord kept me alive for 45 years. And now I want to claim that promise that I was given, that Carnos Benia was for me. I'm 85 years old, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it. I am, I was, I'm just as strong as I was 45 years ago. I don't think anybody here can say that. I was just as strong as 45 years ago. <laughs> but Caleb said, I am just as strong. I can fight. I can go to war. The, the giants are live there. I can go to war, and I'll come back. That was his faith in God. So he said to Joshua, Joshua, that was the promise. Now give me that land. Give me that mountain where the giants live, where the fortified cities are. That is the, for me, the Lord said. I will drive them out. So that was Caleb's uh, testimony. And there is the testimony of others as well. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 9, it says that Moses talked to him, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. That is what Moses said about Caleb. You've wholly followed the Lord wherever you go, the Lord is going to give it to you. You've wholly followed the Lord. And I was reminded of what I learned about Islam. They have that philosophy. Wherever they go, where their foot has trodden, it is theirs. And you know, they have trodden much land here in the United States. They're claiming it, and they will claim it. They're claiming land all over the world. The Netherlands have left people in. 
you know that the f four of the five largest cities in the year in Netherlands, they have all, the Muslims have almost the majority of the city board, the government of the city. They're claiming it. They're claiming land after land. We had this church in Maastricht for six years. It was a beautiful church, but they had only built half of it because they had money for half. So they were worshiping in one half, and as we were there those six years, the congregation grew, and we wanted to build the, the other half. And the blueprints were there. The permission had been given. So we just had to inform the city that we wanted to build the next half. And they said, you can't. We will not allow it. But just two or three blocks down in the living area, in the living quarters, in the housing area, Islam had bought a wooden school and used the field around it for their sacrifices, gold. They could do it. We could not. They claimed that area for themselves. Well, jo and Caleb chose it for himself. He decided, it's mine. He went for it. And then we have the uh, testimony of Joshua about Caleb. So after Caleb had put in his request to Joshua, he said, give me that land, give me that mountain, I'll do it, I'll get it, has been promised, I'm going to take it. And in Joshua chapter 14, verse 3, it says, and Joshua blessed him and gave him to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord. Two people who said the same thing that Caleb had said. Caleb said, I wholly follow the Lord. And here, two people that said the same thing about Caleb. So what is better? The testimony of one person or the testimony of two people? Two people, Moses and Joshua, said the same thing about Caleb. So now we have two witnesses. But then I say the testimony of God, of God is much better. God's testimony about Caleb in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. I want to write it down. This is what he said. Save Caleb, and God was speaking about the others. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see the land, and to him I will give the land that he is trodden upon, and to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. So Caleb's testimony, Moses' testimony, Joshua's testimony, the testimony of God himself. He has wholly followed me. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought, this sounds very much like what Jesus said to his disciples. And he told about being faithful. And said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you and I would like to hear from the Lord? Well done you good and faithful servant. It's something to look forward to, not to be proud of right now. Pride will hinder our growth in the Lord, will hinder our ministry. Well done, that good and faithful servant. So 
Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 14, verse 11. And these are the words spoken by God and written down for us. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. This is what it says. How long will this people provoke me? The question God asks of his own people. How long will I take it take before they believe me? I've shown them all the signs. There were the ten miracles, the ten signs in Egypt already. And Pharaoh was destroyed. Pharaoh's army was destroyed. He provided everything for them in the wilderness. He, they got the water from the rock. They got the manna in the desert. And eventually they got the meat because they started complaining. For 40 years they lived that kind of life, complaining, complaining. And then God said in Numbers 20, uh, 13, verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, he has fully followed me. What a beautiful pronunciation by the Lord himself. He has fully followed me. Is that what you can say? I've fully followed him. Numbers 32, verse 11. None of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and up shall see the land which I swear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed the Lord. And I say it's quite courageous for Caleb to claim that. I have already followed the Lord. And that is how he came to Joshua. Quite courageous. Joshua chapter 14, verse 12. He came to Joshua and said, Now that's the promise. Now I'm going to claim it. Give me that land. Give me that mountain. The Lord has promised it to me. That's the land where the Amalekites live and all those other people and all those giants. They have great and fenced in cities. But with the Lord, I will drive them out. And I see this as eventually for myself, for you too, meeting the Lord. Whether this is in the rapture or after death, where he will say, well done, that good and faithful servant. It keeps me going, keeps truly going, wholly following him. And we have followed him from country to country, from Suriname to Luxembourg to Germany and the other countries there in Europe, back to Suriname again. And a verse that has come up very often in the Bible school among the Indians is First John chapter 2, verse 20. It doesn't say, holy follow him. It says, and now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. It's the same thing as saying, holy following the Lord, abiding in him. If we don't abide in him, we don't follow. 
Abide in him. Holy, follow him. Because if you don't, you'll be ashamed. You'll be ashamed. And I always like to use that funny illustration about the dog we had in the Netherlands. <laughs> Sasha was his name. It was an Indian name, meaning happy. And we had a window in the living room with two drapes curtain there, but an opening so we could look out and there was a chair in front of that window. And when we were gone, the dog would climb up on that chair and wait and wait till she hurt that motor, that car again, waiting for us to come back. But there were times there was no dog. And we knew there was something wrong. That dog had gotten into the cookies or into the chocolate. <laughs> and the dog was ashamed. That is the thought we have, I have, about meeting the Lord and being ashamed. Could you have done something else with your life? You know, the thing that struck us very much, and we have it in our book, there's still some there on the display table, the book that is called Sacrifice, Going, Sacrifice, question mark. And we wrote that book and gave it that title because so often we would go to a church and I had to preach and the pastor would take about five minutes, sometimes longer, to brag about us and say, well, these people have sacrificed so much. You know, and when he carried on too long about us sacrificing anything, I had taken all the wind out of my sail to preach because Trudy and I said, we haven't sacrificed a thing. We've only gained. It was not a sacrifice to go. To see people getting saved, to see people witnessing to others and they getting saved, is that a sacrifice? The greatest joy we've had to see somebody come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, whether that was in the jungle of Suriname or in Europe, when they decided to follow Christ. That's not a sacrifice. But ashamed because we could have done better. Adam and Eve were ashamed because they did not obey. And when we were in the mission field in Suriname, uh, overnight we lost all our support because we changed mission. And we got a bunch of supporters there and there were two men who supported us from the United States. They worked for Alcoa in Suriname, Bauxite. And they supported us. And we had contact with both of them. And we were out with one of them who showed us the dam that they built there in northern Suriname to block the water to produce electricity. And as we watched out over that dam, the water wasn't there yet. His name was Jack. And he started crying. He said, I know the Lord wanted me in his service that I wanted to make money. And now I'm 65, ready for retirement. And I cannot turn back. That's a safe, that's a shameful place to arrive. A sorry place. To come at the end of your life and say, I could have done much better in my life. The Lord wanted me in his service. Another one, one of his colleagues, he was there as well. And because of all the contact with us and other missionaries, he thought, 
I failed the Lord too. I was a preacher and wanted to make money. He was only in his early 40s. He came back to the States. He got more Bible training, came back to Suriname to serve the Lord there. What a sad thing to appear before the Lord to know that you've wasted your life. Now I realize not everybody can go to the foreign mission field, but there are people that need the Lord right here. And I know how difficult it is. People tell us how difficult it is to witness. It isn't difficult. You know, if people make a remark, you know, weather is not so good. Yeah, but the sun is coming out. Praise the Lord. Don't say thank God because that is a worldly expression. Where the world uses that expression all the time, thank the Lord is much better. They start thinking. <laughs> not thank God, but praise the Lord or thank the Lord. And you got a conversation going. You know, we, I got a new, new barber, and Trudy had cut my hair our married life. And she came to the point and said, I shouldn't do it anymore, and I agreed with her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I found a barber there, and I sat down in the chair, and you get the thing around you and so forth, and the trimmers and the clippers and the scissors there, you know. And then she said, where are you from? I said, well... Originally from the Netherlands, well, what are you doing here? Who are you and what do you do? And I said, well, I've been a missionary and a pastor. Oh, I have to watch my language. <laughs> so I got more and more talks with her, and I find eventually found out that she is born again, divorced and born again, and not living for the Lord. But her son is. And she said, have you tried his church as well? And I said, No. I said, but you haven't come to our church either. And I said, I'm getting close to it. You get a conversation going like that. You can witness. You'll be surprised how people all of a sudden open up and they not hear, thank God, but thank the Lord. That has a different meaning for most people. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you get a conversation going. You never know what happens with that conversation. Because you may be the first one who sows the first seeds. Somebody else may come and sow some other seeds. And you probably have heard stories of how people have come to know the Lord. One pe person is witnessing and another person is witnessing. And eventually people come to know the Lord because of the different words, different sentences, sometimes Bible verses they have heard. Don't be afraid what's going to happen. Even for going to the mission field, people are afraid. What's going to happen? My dad didn't want me to go to the mission field. He said, you'll be sitting on corn, orange crates. And Trudy and I said, so what? <laughs> we had our dishes in, in orange crates, but we never sat on orange crates. You know, we sat on other things. But that step of going to the mission field, I, we make fun about one hymn. You probably know it. Lord, send me anywhere. You know that song? But not to Africa. <laughs> so 
people are afraid to make that step. And we read this illustration. I'll read it to you again in one of the devotions we read. The Impala is a member of the antelope family. It is able to jump up to 10 feet height and 30 feet in length. It's an incredible feat and no doubt essential to its survival in the African wild. Yet, at any impala enclosure in zoos, you'll find that the animals are kept in place by a wall. How can such a low wall contain these athletic animals? It works because impalas will never jump unless they can see where they land. The walls keep the impalas inside the enclosure because they can't see what's on the other side. And we humans aren't any different. We want to know the outcome before we move. In the life of faith, that doesn't work. We didn't know where we we're going to end up. You know, where we're we going to end up with a tribe like in Ecuador that killed five missionaries. We didn't know. We didn't know the people we were going to live with. Yeah, we encountered very strange things, satanic things, demonic things. But those things didn't hinder us from going to the mission field. What is the step you need to take to start serving the Lord? What hinders you from following the Lord? Because if you do follow the Lord, eventually you won't be ashamed of meeting him. But you'll be hearing, well done you good and faithful servant. Whatever way you can serve the Lord, even here in Delaware, our desire, truly as my desire is, that we'll see more people go out from Delaware Bible Church. We have some already. Wouldn't it be tremendous if you were going to support five members of Delaware Bible Church, ten members of Bible, uh, Delaware Bible Church, fifteen, Maybe some of you have made the, the decision how to serve the Lord. And we learned this from a retired teacher from New Jersey who came to see a former pastor in the jungle. She came because she wanted other people to go into missionary work, 65 years plus. And she went back to a church and presented the work there and challenged the young people. Nobody went. She went to other churches to present the work of missions, nobody went. At the age of 66 or 67, she came back to the jungle because nobody else went. She had a ministry there. She had a ministry. And there are places where you can minister. Will you be ashamed? Or will you hear the words, well done, you good and faithful servant? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that I've had the opportunity to challenge this congregation, your congregation here in Delaware Bible Church. Father, I pray that something will happen because of the missionary conferences here, maybe even because of the words I shared this morning, 
Father, that this church will be a sending church of their own people. That people around the world will be challenged. People around the world will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.